At Cesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly 
a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism? That John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So Paul is the apostle that God called primarily to minister to the Gentiles, yet we see here in chapter 10 something interesting happening in that even though Paul was the man and God was going to use him mightily to evangelize and to do missions and reach out to the Gentiles, here we see Peter being used. And it speaks to us no matter what our primary ministry is, what our primary calling is, God can use anyone to do anything if they're available. Amen to that. Are you available tonight? It's amazing what he could use us for. And so we see, you know, he's working on Paul. He's getting Paul ready. He's filling Paul with the word. So the word flows through him. Yet Peter's ministry is in full, full roar here. Peter has a pillar in the early church. And uh, we see him just being used in a way that is kind of a forerunner or a precursor to what Paul is going to do. So there's that to think about and realize that uh, 
God has a structure. He has an apostolic structure in the early church. Yet everybody has a ministry. Everybody has a gifting. Yet we're all called to be evangelists. Amen. We're all called to share the gospel. In verses 1 and 2, we hear about Cornelius. And uh, he's a Roman soldier. And he's caught God's attention. Now, this is interesting in a lot of ways because we know for centuries as God dealt with his chosen people and he brought them out of, out of you know, from Abraham on and he, he worked with them, he developed them, he was with them. The Gentiles were completely cut off and uh, almost ignored by God. And the Jews knew it and they knew that they had favor and they knew that they were God's chosen and they knew everybody else was heathen to the point where God said, don't associate with them, don't eat with them, don't marry them, stay away from them, be separate from them. Now all of a sudden, there's a shift of gears taking place here theologically and I want you to understand how huge that is. That, you know, for the Jew, this is, a, this is a really strange idea. You know, you see that Peter's apprehensive just to go into someone's house. He won't eat with them, yet all of a sudden we're about to see them brought into the kingdom of God and given the same measure of the Holy Spirit that Peter himself has. So Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He caught God's attention, and God reaches back out to him. In verse 2, we know uh, that he was Roman. So there again, you know, that he's not a Jew, so he's a Gentile. And he's also a soldier, which is another thing that would make a Jew apprehensive. The, the, this was the strong arm of Rome. You know, he, he's a soldier. He has quite a spiritual pedigree, though. Other than those two things, you know, especially coming from a culture that's outside of the, 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 the workings of God. Listen in verse 2 to the pedigree that this guy has here. It says, he's a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Just stop right there for a second. I mean, this guy is, this guy is outside of a, of a relationship with God in the minds of everyone, yet he has all of these good spiritual attributes going on in his life. He was a devout man. It means he had integrity. He, he, he kept his word. He was an honorable man. He feared God. Did you hear that? So important that without the fear of God, you know, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. This man was devout. He feared God. He was a giver. He gave alms to the Jewish people. You know, the Bible says about the Abrahamic covenant, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you, talking about Israel. This is what the nations of the earth need to be reminded of, the word of God, the Abrahamic covenant. You don't mess with the Jewish people. If you mess with the Jewish people, God will mess with you, period. Anytime our nation has stood against Israel, there has been cataclysmic effects upon our nation. God help us if we ever turn our back on Israel. There's enough nations that want to destroy them and drive them into the sea. God help America if we turn our back on Israel. This man loved the Jewish people and he gave to them. So he was being blessed by God in accordance to the Abrahamic covenant. He was a giver and he was a lover of God's chosen people. He was also of a, a man of prayer. It said he prayed continually. How many of us prayed continually today? Cornelius is quite a guy, quite a spiritual pedigree for a heathen Gentile, wouldn't you say? 
So much so that he caught the attention of God. In verses 3 and 4, he has an angelic visitation. An angel shows up and tells him something very interesting. He says, your prayers and your alms have become a memorial before the Lord. He's saying, he's saying your life and the way you live and the way you pray and the sincerity of your heart has caught the attention of Almighty God. Woo! I don't know about you, but I, I want my life to catch God's attention. I want the way I pray, the passion I have for, for the kingdom. I, I don't want to God have to be reminded, who's this guy, Rick, again? Anybody? No. This guy on the outside, pressing in, catches the attention of Almighty God. He has all these good spiritual attributes out of him, but his prayer and his alms, you know, have caught the attention of God. And that, that's a wow moment for anyone to think that God noticed me. Sometimes I think we forget how our faith and our discipline and our faithfulness to our call and all of these things that we do on a daily basis that seem, you know, routine. I wonder if we understand that when we're faithful, it catches the attention of God. That there's things we could do with our day, with our time, with our energy, with our thought life, with our prayer life, with our, with our physical man that catch the attention of Almighty God. You know, I know when we sin or we do something wrong or we have, you know, something bad comes out of our mouth, I know the enemy reminds us then that God's, God's paying attention, doesn't he? But God's paying attention to all the good things we do and we can, we can catch the attention of God in such a way that he wants to visit us, he wants to bless us, he wants to connect with us. That's exactly what he did with this Cornelius. His prayers and his alms came up as a memorial before the Lord. It was like the volume and the, and the intensity and the, the, the sincerity of his life really just stopped everything in its tracks and God says, I want to reach out back to this man. Now, Cornelius's uh, angel shows up and the angel tells him in verses five to eight to go and get Peter from Joppa. He told him that Peter was staying with Simon the Tanner. Now, I want you to notice a few things here. Peter's getting called to a Gentile's house and that's a no-no, right? Hello? No, no, not. And I want you to understand something too. He's staying with a Tanner. Whether you know that or not, that's probably a no-no for a Jew too because Jews aren't supposed to be around dead things, bloody things, unclean things. What do you think Tanners do? How do you, you know, those leather jackets don't just jump off the cow. Yeah, you clean them, you stretch them out, you flesh them, you tan them. It's a dirty, filthy, bloody process that Jews would be like, whoa, I'm not supposed to be around dead things. So there's a lot of things in Peter's life right now that are pushing the envelope. Hello? <laughs> he's, he's hanging out in a tanner's house. A little sketchy. Now he's going to a Gentile's house for a, for a go-to-meeting prayer. So... Lots of stuff going on here. And I want you to see God is pushing the boundaries. For the Jewish believers, all of this is a big stretch. We don't get it. We think, well, what's the big deal? For them, this was a big deal. You know, and, and we're seeing God is reprogramming the trajectory of all of these things. Why? Because he's about to reach out, not to the Jewish people alone, but to the whole entire world. So uh, in verses 7 through 8, Cornelius, uh, you know, sends for him. He's fetched up. They bring him back. Um, Cornelius' uh, servants explain to Peter uh, what's going on. You know, and then notice who Peter, uh, notice who Cornelius sent. He sends people who are kind of like-minded. And this is an important thing. It said the angel was speaking to him 
uh, left and he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier and one who was his personal attendant. So he's getting people here that, you know, have some kind of spiritual, uh, you know, they're spiritual in the sense where they understand what he's saying. He's bringing people around him that are like-minded. This is important. Anytime we do anything in the faith, we've got to surround ourselves with like people of faith. Amen. Now, not, not just, yo, let's be clannish and let's only just hang out with the few. No, just full gospel-centered people. No, anyone who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is our brother and sister in the Lord, amen? I don't care what church they go to. If they're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, you and I need to have a connection to them in a sense where when we surround ourselves to do things, we do it with believers, Okay, you know, Cornelius didn't just grab any two soldiers who had no faith and didn't pray and, you know, were complete heathens and thought Cornelius was crazy. He gets like-minded people and he sends them on a mission and they go to fetch Peter. And this is a, this is a big moment here. And I want you to see, you know, the, the like-minded people go and he, he displays what I like to call instant obedience. He doesn't pray about this. He doesn't ask people, what do you think about this vision? Or, you know, do you believe in angels? Hello? He just, he just does it. You know, sometimes we need to be more reflexive. You know, we're impulsive at all the wrong times, but then when God speaks, we're like, oh, let's slow down. Let's take it easy here. We don't want to be, you know, when God speaks, we should immediately be obedient. So important. The more we can cultivate instant obedience in our lives, the more God can use us because God needs people who, when he speaks, they act. And unfortunately, that's a rare breed in the earth. So if God speaks and he says, jump, we say, how high? And that's exactly what Cornelius does, sends these people. Verse 9, 9 through 16, we see Cornelius' men, they're en route to go to Peter. Peter, uh, Peter doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't know what, that the angel has spoken to him, but Peter has a vision of his own. So I want you to see this. God in heaven is coordinating all this. He gives one guy an angelic visitation. Now he gives his apostle Peter a vision. And I, I, like, <laughs> I like this vision here. Uh, and, and there again, there's, there's so much in here. Verse 10 shows us that, you know, Peter is on uh, top of the roof and he's hungry. He's waiting for dinner uh, to be made. And it says, while they were making preparations for dinner in verse 10, he fell into a deep trance. Have you ever been so hungry that you fell into a deep trance? I have. Almost before every meal. So here... <laughs> Peter's like, you know, he's hungry. He's just doing his normal thing. He's hanging out. He's with Simon the Tanner. You know, who knows what it smells like? He's trying to figure out, is that dinner or is that, you know, the newest thing he's skinning down there? But he's hungry and he falls into this trance and then God gives him this, this vision here and it's a vision from the Lord. Now the vision is gonna be shocking uh, to Peter and it would be shocking to any Jew. It says, and he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down. So far, not too bad. Lowered by four corners to the ground. Verse 12, and there were on it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, the voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, say three times. Three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So here's Cornelius' men are en route. 
angelic visitation. Peter has an open vision. He's so hungry, he passes out, and God speaks to him. Okay, and, and the vision is going to be a little bit off-putting to a Jewish person and offensive because why? The sheet is lowered with all kinds of unclean creatures on it. Now, there were certain things that Jews weren't allowed to eat. You know about the Jewish dietary law, amen? One of the biggest things is no bacon. No animals that don't chew the cud. No animals that don't have a cloven hoof. Pigs are off limits. There, there are certain creepy, crawly creatures, birds of the air, you know, birds of prey, uh, carry on that you know eat all kinds of dead things jews would never eat that stuff we weren't permitted to do that now the vision in the vision he's told uh go kill and eat now remember he's doing he's he's dreaming about food waiting for his food come on smile that's good for you so you know he's hungry if somebody tells me to eat and i'm hungry i'll eat almost anything Peter says, no, I'm not eating that. And, and I want you to see this here. He's hungry in the natural. He's seeing this vision and, and, and it's all this food, but he's like, I am not eating that because I have never broken the dietary law. God, I've never violated that. I don't want to eat that. So God is making a point here through the cultures and the custom and through the dietary law. And, and, and it's a point that you know, he, he, is, he is offended by this food. It's unclean. It's inappropriate for him to eat and he doesn't want it. But you know, notice God makes it an emphatic point when he tells him what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. So it's, it's, now this is more than just about food here and we know that, but he makes the point three times. Did you notice that in the vision? Anytime there's something in scripture mentioned three times, God is trying to make a really emphatic point. Do you know when, they, when the angels cry out before the Lord, they don't just say holy. They say holy, holy, holy. Three times. That's a, you know, the way that God makes a very emphatic point. So he gives him this vision three times. And what's the gist of it? That you know, what God has cleansed, you know, no longer call unholy. Now this isn't just about eating pork or having bacon, egg, and cheese for breakfast. This is much more than that. Although God is putting away that too as well for believers. He's not gonna put them under a dietary code. But, but this was, you know, uh, things that were unclean formerly or unholy or, or disconnected or cut off. Those were the Gentiles. This is a picture of the Gentiles. They were, they were, you know, not to be touched. They were not to be mingled with. Yet God is shifting the gears here. And Peter has to have this vision and he has to hear it three times because this is a huge shift. And God makes sure that he gets it verses 17 through 18. Peter doesn't understand the exact application at the moment, but he, you know, obviously he's mulling over this. He's chewing over this. He doesn't have to wait long for an explanation because Cornelius's men are down there knocking on the door. Don't you like it when things move fast in the kingdom of God? He has a vision. He's thinking about it. All of a sudden these guys are knocking and, and, and God is coordinating all this and it's beautiful and the, syn the synchronicity of it is beautiful how you know, all of this is working together. God is on the move here and I want you to see that. So the men are knocking at the door down there and, and they you know, find him at Tanner's house and Peter hears that there are men looking for him. So he comes out of his trance. He comes off the roof um, and verses 19 through 20, he, he, you know, he normally wouldn't associate with 
Gentiles, but you know, he knows that there's something going on here and that God's orchestrating it. Now, this is a great thing. You know, remember, Peter was impulsive and he put his foot in his mouth a lot. Uh, are you seeing a different Peter here now that he's seasoned full of the Holy Ghost? kind of moving with the things of the Lord. You know, you know, the old Peter would have went downstairs with a stick and tried to chase Cornelius' men away. But he doesn't do that. It says, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, ah, we see a different Peter. <laughs> He's reflecting. He's not impulsive anymore. The Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and accompany, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, behold, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? He said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. So what we have here is a vision uh, and an angelic visit and now a divine appointment. And Peter hears what they have to say and notice Cornelius sent the right guys. It's well articulated, it's well received. And Peter invites the Gentiles into his home to lodge with him. So already there's a shift taking place here. Peter knows that God is in this and the Holy Spirit's told him, don't make a fuss. Do you know what he said? He said, go without any misgivings. What does that mean? Don't make a fuss, don't be Peter. Just go, I sent them. So uh, this is a pretty fast paced thing here. Peter invites them in to stay the night and then the next day they're up and gone. So that's a, that's a fast pace. And there again, I see instant obedience in here. We're not dragging this out, but it's moving at God's pace. And I want you to see that the kingdom of God is always on the move. You know, some of us, when, we, when we're not praying, we're not, we're not in the word, when we're not excited about what God is doing, it seems like nothing's going on in the kingdom of God. That's not God, that's us. Come on, Wednesday night. The kingdom of God is always on the move. <laughs> Two people woke up, three people clapped. God's got enough to fill you and thrill you all the days of your life. And if, you're, if your walk with God is not exciting right now, it's not because God got boring. If my walk, oh man, there's just nothing going on. You know, and I even hear it with pastors, there's just nothing going on. It's time to refire and get revived and get desperate and get in the prayer closet, amen? Sometimes there's nothing going on because we're, we're missing it. But I see excitement here. I see movement here. I see, you know, this is the kingdom of God. And I want to be a part of that. And I hope you do too. So Peter's up and at him the next day. And they're off to, they're off to Cornelius' house. And uh, Cornelius is waiting for Peter's arrival. And verse 24 tells us he assembled all his family, his close relatives, and friends. This is important. You see how the kingdom of God spreads? It spreads when we affect our sphere of influence. There's people around you that you can affect that no one else can. There's people that will listen to you that I'll never get to preach to unless you, you convince them to come here. So what does Cornelius do? He doesn't go get a whole bunch of crazy people. He doesn't, you know, put a, put a billboard up and says revival tent meeting at Cornelius' house. He gets his family, he gets his friends, and he gets his relatives. He affects his own sphere of influence. And that's what we need to do. 
our neighbors, the person in the cubicle across from us, the people at the gym, you know, people in our family. That's the people we should be praying for and reaching out to. Why? Because they know us and we have the greatest ability to impact them because they do know us. And some of you, and some of us were crazy before Jesus got a hold of us. And now people look and they go, man, you're not so crazy anymore. You, you seem to have it together. You seem to be blessed. You seem to be prospering. Your family seems healthy. All of a sudden, they recognize the change. Come on now. And they're, they're willing to listen. So Cornelius assembles this group here, and that's how the kingdom is spread. And I want you to see that. If every one of us affected everyone within our reach, we would fill this place three times over. We would have to look for a bigger building. Praise God. Verse 25 and 26 Cornelius meets Peter and he falls down on his knees and begins to worship him. And all I can say is awkward. Really? I, I don't know. If you've ever had people be too affectionate or grovel or anything, it's just awkward. And so, you know, uh, Peter's like, you know, please stand up immediately. He's like, stand up for, I'm just, I'm just a man, basically is what he says. I, I too am just a man. You know, so that, that's a good thing. And I want you to see anytime people uh, try to ascribe anything to us that's inappropriate or praises that are inappropriate or spiritual things that are inappropriate, we should immediately deflect them and, and just knock that down right away. You say, why, why should, should we do that? Because you know what? We might like the way it sounds. And I've known people that, you know, for all intents and purposes, and I've known ministry people, for all intents and purposes, they, they'd accept worship from people accolades that were so over the top. Come on, come on, I'm just telling the truth in church. And accolades that were so far over the top that they were, it was disgusting. And they were like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Thank God we don't have preachers on pedestals like we did back in the 80s and the 90s and all of that nonsense. You know who knocked them down? God knocked them down. Amen? Because you know what? Peter was smart. He instantly deflected that worship. No, 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 no. Get up. Not me. Just a man. Just like you. You know, worship belongs to God. God doesn't share his worship or his glory with anybody. And anyone who wants to soak that up, God will humble. So Peter's showing good form here. There again, we're seeing a, we're seeing a different Peter here. And I like it. We should never allow people to treat us like we deserve worship. And no matter how much fruit our spiritual gifts produce, God alone is the one who's worthy of praise. The minute you and I produce fruit and we start accepting the praise ourselves is the minute the fruit will dry up, I guarantee it. So Peter meets Cornelius and this is their first experience. He picks him up, you know, he begins to, you know, inquire why he's there. Uh, in verses 28 and 29, he finds this group that Cornelius has uh, assembled there and he begins to minister to them. He starts off by saying, you know, Jews don't associate with Gentiles. Did you catch that? What are you saying? You know, it's unlawful for me to be here and you could see everybody, the actors did a good job. Everybody got tense like, uh-oh, is he gonna leave or he's gonna rebuke us or what's the deal? But he, he basically says, you know, from his vision, I've learned that you shouldn't call anything unholy or unclean that God has made holy. So Peter's putting into practice right away what he's seen. This is obviously the Holy Spirit orchestrating all this. He communicates uh, his vision. Uh, uh, Cornelius communicates the, his vision of the angel to Peter. And 
and Peter kind of communicates with him, and you see that there's a connection there. And there again, this is all divinely orchestrated. Uh, verses 34 through 36, Peter's opening statement is a powerful game changer. I know that God shows no partiality. Salvation was only for the Jew, yet God is reaching out past the Jews now to the Gentiles. The gospel is now open to every nation and, and those who fear the Lord and do what's right. That's a game changer there. Look at Peter's getting uh, just an open understanding here of what is going on. And, you know, this is something that he's just learned in the vision. It says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, that, that's everyone, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that which took place in Judea, starting in Galilee with the baptism of John and proclaimed, and Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went on doing good things and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. So he, he gets into his message here and he's preaching to them about Jesus. And he, he basically says, I know God is gonna reach whoever fears him and whoever uh, does the right thing. So it's no partiality anymore. Uh, in verse 36, his heart is changed and his theology is changing and it's a big deal. Um, he, he refers to Jesus' ministry throughout the region. You know, these people had heard of Jesus before. Uh, they, they hadn't seen him, but they heard about his ministry. They heard about the works that he did. And I want you to see how Peter begins to reach out with them. He starts by sharing the gospel with what the people already knew. You and I, when we share the gospel, we should start from where the people are at. Do they know about Jesus? Were they raised in a religious church or a, a religious home? Do they have an understanding of who Jesus is? If so, we should start there. Why? That's the springboard to share the depth of the gospel. A lot of people know about Jesus, but they don't know him. So don't treat them like they never heard of Jesus. Start from there, amen? When I, when I was a young man, I was raised in a church that talked about Jesus. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I never knew him until I accepted him into my life and became born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's Peter showing good form here and how he reaches out. And there's a principle in there for us. Start with where the people are at and work from there, and then intensify the message till you get to the crux of the whole gospel, which is that we need to repent of our sin and receive Jesus as Savior, and that we can be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? Oh, Peter is, uh, you know, on the precipice here of cracking something wide open here. He affirms his role in preaching the gospel as he was an eyewitness to Jesus's public ministry. So Peter was there. Peter knew Jesus. He walked with him. And that was, that's a prerequisite to be an apostle. Apostles have to be eyewitnesses of Christ. And so, you know, th th those apostles, you know, I believe there's still apostolic ministry in the church, uh, one of the fivefold giftings, but there are no apostles in the sense where you'd have to be alive to see Jesus. Paul had a visitation from Jesus. That's how he became an apostle. So, you know, realize there's some of these dynamics here. Peter is saying, I I'm, I'm who I say I am. I'm the real deal. And, he and he's sharing the gospel here. Um, 
He says in 41 and 42 that he ate and drank with Jesus and he was a witness to his resurrection. All of these things, very important. He's testifying. Verse 30, uh, 43 is so powerful. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him might receive forgiveness of sin. So what Peter is saying to these Gentiles is that Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament messianic prophecies. And that's something for the Jew and for the Greek as well. But forgiveness of sins comes through believing in him. There again, good solid theology that you know you, you you don't get your sins forgiven by doing good works or being of the right lineage or you know uh, it, it is through belief in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 40, 44 is my favorite part of Jesus of his sermon here. As Peter's preaching and sharing these things, the Holy Ghost interrupts his sermon. Do you remember what happened? They showed in the video a little wind coming through and the Holy Ghost began to fall on the people and they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. Now listen, I don't like being interrupted while I'm preaching, but the Holy Spirit can interrupt my preaching anytime he wants. In, fa <laughs> in fact, <laughs> you know, maybe Peter was going on too long and God was like, ugh. <laughs> Have you ever been in services where, you know, God stopped moving but the people kept talking? You guys had a hard day. I've been in a lot of services like that. God interrupts Peter's little message there and he just drops the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, why do you do that way? The, you know, the, the, the right form is, you know, believe and be baptized and you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38, right? There's, a, there's an order here, but God can mix that order up anytime he wants. He's God. These guys are hearing what Peter is preaching and they are receiving it like sponges to the point where they didn't need to hear anymore. They were ready. So God poured himself out on them. What is this a response to? This is a response to a heathen who was a godly man who prayed continually, who caught the attention of God. And now God has visited his home and he's poured his spirit out upon all of those people there who believe in the message of the gospel. Wow. What an exciting, beautiful picture of what New Testament ministry is supposed to be. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to do this with your friends and your family, just to be able to begin to speak to them and tell them about Jesus, and they be so receptive to it that by the time, you know, you're halfway through your little message, they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I long for this, and it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, you know, Peter's presentation is good, obviously. It brings them to the point. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, he brought people from uh, with him there, Peter did, and they were Jewish converts, and they are all amazed, verse 45 and 46 says. Why are they amazed? Because the Gentiles have just received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if they knew that that was going to happen or could happen. They thought maybe they could preach them the gospel and, you know, they could be junior Christians or something. They could be, you know, one notch below them because we're the, all of a sudden, now they just got a whole bunch of Gentile brothers and sisters who are filled with the same Holy Ghost that they are. Mind blown, game changer, big shift in gears. Theology that was there for centuries has now been expanded and they are amazed. Verse 47 through 48, since they had received the Holy Spirit, Peter says, is there, I mean, we might as well baptize them in water. Anybody have any objections to that? And how could you? If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, and the Holy Spirit baptism is, is greater than water baptism. 
And so it's a little out of order, but yet everybody agrees. And that maybe God did it that way because they would have put up a fuss, you know, and they would have tried to hold them back. Or I don't know why, but I'm just thinking, you know, God sometimes has to sovereignly do things because men get in the way and mess things up. You know, there's a lot of denominational theology that messes things up. There's a lot of people out there saying what God can do and what God can't do, and you can't have the Holy Spirit, and you can't speak in tongues, and there's no healing. And there's a lot of people standing behind pulpits saying stuff like that. Sometimes God just has to show up and say, you know, I'm God. Here's, here's what it is, guys. And then everybody's theology can catch up. In heaven, there's gonna be a lot of catch up in theology. There's going to be a time of silence in heaven. Do you know about that in the book of Revelation? Ever read the Bible? Seen pictures? There's going to be a period of silence in heaven. And there's some Bible scholars and teachers that think this is the time when the Holy Spirit is going to bring everybody's theology into order. So they're not going to be fighting in heaven about should you submerge them or should you sprinkle them or should you, know, you shoot them with a super soaker or how do you baptize? You know, Christians will fight about everything. How to baptize, who can be baptized. What happens when you're baptized? I like it when God just does it. And he's like, there it is, guys. Catch up with that. And that's exactly what he does here. He brings the Gentiles in. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They get baptized in water. It is just an amazing thing. Everybody's mind's blown. We had an angelic visitation. We had a divine vision. We had uh, just a, a God moment here. And God has busted the dam on something that has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now he is about to make it so that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, it doesn't matter what you are. If you believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave, you can be saved. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for Acts 10, and Lord, it is exciting to see you move in the lives of men. Father, we pray that uh, there would be a move of God at Full Gospel Center that we would be able to participate in. Father, and if it feels like the kingdom of God is, uh, is kind of stalled out and there's nothing going on, Father, I pray we take the example of Cornelius and get in our prayer closets and begin to pray and begin to do good works and begin to seek your face with all our hearts so that once again we can understand that our spiritual eyes will see there's great movement in the kingdom of God. You're doing awesome things, God. We don't want to be spectators. We don't want to miss out, Lord, but we want to be part of it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise tonight. Mm.